So um, when studying Galatians, I, I was just thinking about something that could help you um, with your study, and that is to, is to read a paraphrase. Um, now, a paraphrase is just the, the words of the author in a plainer uh, way that you can understand it. Uh, you won't be making God angry or anything if you read a paraphrase, and we do it all the time. Um, you know, pastor, any pastor in any church might read a verse, and then he puts it in his own words. So no matter if you're reading a paraphrase or not, God wants to get it across to you how you can understand it. The other sheet I want to, is just purely like reading pleasure. And this is about um, Galatians chapter 1, where Paul goes to Arabia. And this um, article talks about where this scholar thinks this Arabia is. So it might be fun for you to, to look at that. Uh, that came out of the latest edition of Biblical Archaeological Review. It's a hard word to say. Um, but as I've been reading through Galatians, I've been using a paraphrase, so I figured that you might also benefit from that. Uh, if you feel more comfortable, have your King James Version open with the, the paraphrase, and things will be okay. All right. Now, I do want to say the, the, the version that I passed out is the New Living Translation. It's been around since the 70s, so it's one of the older. It's not the Message Bible. The Message Bible is quite, um, uh, it's more paraphrased than the, the New Living Translation, so it's, it's more of a modern, modern speech, actually. Um, what I want to do in the first five minutes here is to give you just an overview of Galatians. I think most of all of you have been here tracking through. Some of you were sitting up front a few weeks ago and now have moved back, so <laughs> I'm seeing some changes here. Um, but uh, I just, I don't want to uh, give you too much of a review. I want to move on with the new material. But I do want to hit some of the highlights. So if you look at Galatians chapter 1, okay, so I did hand that out to you, but you'll have to use your own Bible for Galatians 1. What I handed out was just Galatians chapter 4, which we're going to be talking about tonight. So some of the things that you should know about Galatians is that it's, it's one of Paul's, um, it's an odd book because it doesn't start out as Paul normally starts out a letter. He starts out the letter of Galatians um, a little abrupt, and he gets right into the meat of what he wants to say in verse 8, or I'm sorry, verse 6, where he says he's astonished at them that they are so quickly deserting the gospel that he had just preached to them. And he is astonished because they have turned from that gospel so quickly. One of the things that Paul does here in verse 9 is he says, if anybody preaches another gospel than the one that I came and delivered to you, let him be accursed. And that, you may have heard the word anathema. Like, sometimes uh, you'll hear that word being thrown, at, thrown around. 
But anathema just means a formal curse that uh, he was calling the curse of God down upon anyone who was bringing in another gospel. So this is the severest, this is like kicking these people out of the church, kicking them out of the fellowship, uh, not just kicking them out, but uh, it had spiritual consequences for them to be preaching another gospel. Now, I do want to point out one other thing here in verse 8. Paul puts himself under the curse by saying, or threat of the curse, by saying, um, even if we or an angel from heaven. So Paul is saying, me or any of the ministers that are with me, we or an angel from heaven, if anyone brings another gospel to you than the one that I preach to you, let him be accursed. The reason Paul is so forward with them about that is because Paul, Paul believes, and he did, get his message from Jesus Christ, which is one of, the, one of the key points in the book of Galatians. Because Paul points out in chapter 2, I didn't go immediately up to Peter and, and swap notes and figure out what Peter was preaching, and then I started preaching what Peter's preaching. He, didn't, he said no. There was actually 14 years that I was you know, separated from the apostles, so there's no way I could have gotten the gospel from Peter. So he's making this argument, and it's one of, his, one of the bigger arguments in, in the book, uh, in chapter 2. But he says, I got the message of salvation by grace through faith by Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know for sure. Uh, we, we know that his first vision is in Acts chapter 9, uh, where he meets Christ, he, he may have gotten some of this, uh, some of his gospel from the vision that he had in Acts chapter 9, uh, or, or he could have gotten more of the gospel in, uh, when he went to Arabia. But wherever he got the gospel, he said he got it from Jesus Christ, and that is the only gospel that there is. There's not another gospel to to learn or to know, any other gospel is uh, contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? All right, so another thing is Paul reestablishes his credentials, and, the, and how he does that is by saying that I got the gospel from Jesus, straight from Jesus, and not through inter, any intermediary. Now, this is important for Paul to reestablish his credentials because his reputation is not really that great. Paul is really a minister who has a past, <laughs> if you will. And, he, and a, lot of his, a lot of what he's writing when he writes about his biography is to tell people, look, you remember what, what I did in the past. I was a persecutor of the church. Um, and he even says, I tried to stamp out the church. I didn't just try to persecute one or two people. I was on my way to destroy the church of God. So this, this is hard for people to get, and, and it's kind of hard for us today when somebody changes their life really abruptly, like maybe they were a drug addict and then they're not anymore, and it's like, okay, we're just going to wait around and see, you know, how, how their life has really changed. Well, people were doing that with Paul. You could see where they were, they were a little bit shy when they were in his presence. but. Paul was the real deal. He really had this conversion experience, and he really was an apostle of God. 
so he, he does tell the Galatians, I'm an apostle equal to Peter, equal to James, equal to John, uh, and God has ordained me to be um, an apostle. An- another major point of the gospel or the, the, the book of Galatians is justification. So that word just means being made right with God through faith in Jesus. So we all want to be made right with God, correct? <laughs> we all want to do what pleases God. Uh, we want to do what makes God happy, okay? We don't want him angry at us. That's, that's why we repent and we say, God, forgive me for, for my sin, because we want to be made right with God. How Paul says to do that is to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I wish I had like a bigger theological thing to tell you, but that's it. He says, in order for you to be right with God, to make God happy, all you have to do is believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and you are justified. Um, and this, this really gets to the Galatians because they're like, is that it? Don't we have to be circumcised? Don't we have to, is there something else we got to do? I mean, that just sounds like it's too easy. That's like the easy grace or whatever. But that's all Paul says is you can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, And in fact, that's in Galatians 2, and if you want to turn there to verse 16 and 17, um, it says, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So let's put that in my words that I just used. No one will be justified by the works of the law. That means nobody will please God by doing just what the law says. In order to please God, you have to believe in the work that his son did on the cross. And through that belief, you are now made right with, with God through that faith. So. Um, God's favor, this is another major point of the book, is that God's favor is now universal in scope. So the, the Jews um, believe that they were the chosen people of God. We've all heard that, that God chose them, and the Bible says that. God chose you among all these other nations, even though you weren't the biggest and the strongest and the most wealthy and all these things, but I chose you. And, um, but now Paul is saying something different. He's telling everybody that everybody is God's chosen. And this kind of rubs some people wrong. I mean, especially the Jews. They're like, hey, (laughs) we're not the special people anymore. Of course, they're still special. I want to point that out. But, But it is like the floodgates have opened, and now the Gentiles are able to come into faith with Jesus Christ, and they don't have to go through the law. So if you're a Jew... And you're like, man, I had to believe all these things in order to be saved. But then Paul comes, Paul comes along and he says, no, you don't, have to, you don't have to do all those things anymore. So you can imagine the kind of freedom that, that this brings uh, when you don't have to perform the ceremonial and the ritualistic laws uh, of that, that are in the Old Testament. So Paul believes that God's actions through Christ has removed distinctions between Jews and Gentiles. And even further, um, 
he talks about how there's, there's no more um, categories of Jew or Greek. There's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. That these, that these earthly categories have been erased through Jesus Christ. We're all just Christians. <laughs> We're all children of God. Um, the next point, and I know I'm probably going over my five-minute review here, but, I, but just bear with me. The next point is the fullness of time has come. Paul says that in the scripture we're going to read tonight. Paul believes in a radical shift in history. He believes that um, this shift has coincided with the coming of Christ and that a new phase of life has begun in God's great plan for, for mankind. And uh, look at chapter 3, verse 25 here. It says, but now that, uh, let's see, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. For in Jesus, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So there is a radical uh, shift in the history of the world because of Jesus. And the final point that I want to make is that the Spirit produces what the law cannot affect. So Paul believes that God has given the Holy Spirit to people, as in chapter 3, verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by hearing with faith? So that Christ may be formed in them. Um, and that's in chapter 4, verse 19, if you want to look at that. Um, it says, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That he, Paul preaches that the Spirit, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but Luke seems to be talking about Holy Spirit empowers you for witness. And we get that all through the book of Acts, that that's the purpose of the Spirit. Paul kind of gives us a different twist, and for Paul, the Holy Spirit is to, is to come into our hearts so that we can have a connection to God. He says, in fact, um, that we cry, Abba, Father, because the Spirit dwells in our hearts. In other words, we wouldn't be able to call out to God as our Father without the Spirit in our lives. And so, therefore, the Spirit is what makes us sons and daughters of God. So this is, this is what's so key in, in Paul's theology about the Spirit. The benefits of receiving the Spirit, according to Paul, far outseed anything that um, they could accomplish by being circumcised and keeping the Jewish law. And Paul says that in order for us to live the life that is pleasing to God, we must live a life of the Spirit. And that's in, we haven't really gotten to Acts, or Genesis, sorry, Galatians chapter 5. But in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So for Paul, the, the Spirit is what, the Spirit of Christ in our heart is what connects us to God. Okay, so that's our review. And what I want us to do is go to Galatians chapter 4. And you could look at your handout that I gave you.
And Galatians, remember this is a letter. Paul is writing letter. And just like you can't cut up a letter, you really can't cut up what Paul is saying. So what chapter 3 has been talking about, the end of chapter 3, really kind of slides into chapter 4. So if you look at um, the last few words of Galatians chapter 3, um, it says, so then I'm looking at chapter 3, verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. And as Pastor Kim so greatly taught Genesis chapter 3 last week, she taught us that we are all Abraham's offspring. According to Paul, we no longer, um, well, if you look at verse uh, chapter 3, verse 17, it says that the covenant that was made with Moses does not annul the covenant that was made with Abraham. So Paul reverts back to Abraham and says that promise that God made to Abraham to bless all the people of the earth, in fact, it says, in you shall all the people of the world be blessed. Paul says that means Jesus. <laughs> that that blessing that will bless the whole world, that is Jesus. And um, that he is the one that makes you sons and daughters of God. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that in chapter 4. Now, I want to read chapter 4, and I'm going to read uh, chapter 4, 1 through 20, so we get kind of a, the broad overview here. And then we'll go verse by verse. So Paul says, I mean, well, let me get to my, okay. Chapter four, this is in the living translation. But remember this, that if a father dies and leaves great wealth for his son, that child is not much better off than a slave until he grows up, even though he actually owns everything that his, that his father has. He has to do what the guardians and the managers tell him to do until he reaches whatever age his father has set. And that is the way that it is with us before Christ came. We were the slaves to the Jewish laws and rituals, for, though, for we thought that, that they could save us. But when the time, the right time came, the time that God decided on, he sent his son, born of a woman, born of a Jew, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own sons. And because we are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we can rightly speak to God or speak of God as our dear father. Now, we are no longer his slaves, but, God, but God's own sons. <laughs> Amen. And since we are his sons, Everything belongs to us. Now, if you have a highlighter or a pen or something, just mark that. Just everything belongs to us. That's one of the great passages there. For that is the way that God has planned. Before you 
Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to the so-called gods that did not even exist. And now you have found God, or I should say, now that God has found you, how can it be that you want to go back again and become slaves once more to another poor, weak, useless religion of trying to get to heaven by obeying God's laws? You are trying to find favor with God by what you do or don't do on certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. I'm afraid that all my hard work for you was worth nothing. Dear brothers, please feel as I do about these things, for I am as free from these chains as you used to be. You did not despise me when I was first preached to you. Even though I was sick when I first brought you the good news of Jesus Christ, but even though my sickness was revolting to you, you did not reject me and turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even as Jesus Christ himself. Where is the happy spirit that we felt together then? For in those days, I know that you would, be, you would gladly have taken your own eyes out and given them to replace mine if that would have helped me. And now I have become your enemy because I tell you the truth. These false teachers are, who are so anxious to win your favor are not doing it for your own good. What they're trying to do is to shut you off from me so that you will pay more attention to them. It is a fine thing when people are nice to you with good motives and sincere hearts, especially if they aren't doing it just when I am with you. Oh, my children, how you were hurting me. I am once again suffering for you the pains of a mother waiting for her, chi her child to be born, longing for the time when you will finally be filled with Christ. How I wish I could be there with you right now and not have to reason with you like this, for at this distance, I frankly don't know what to do. All right. So that's the living translation. I hope that even just in that could clarify some of the, some of the language and make this a little bit easier. Verses 1 through 3 stand together in this passage of Scripture, and it talks about man's condition under the law. I know I've said this in the past, the law is, is better translated instruction. The word Torah is actually the word that Paul uses, and um, it's a better translation to say instruction, because it's not just, a, it is a bunch of do's and don'ts, but it, it's also there to instruct you how to live. So, um, so this is talking about man's conditions under the law, and it brings up this fact of a child that's under his or her mother and father's um, living in their household, and that all the things that the mother or father own really belong to the children. Um, and that the, but that the child himself is not better off than maybe just a slave, someone who has nothing at all. But yet when the child grows to maturity, they are now able to cash in, if you will, and say, all that stuff that you were saving up for me, it's mine now. So we do that today. We put children's money in a trust, and uh, the parents are usually the trustees. I think a lot about the movie stars, you know, if they're kids. 
and mom and dad don't just give them a million dollars. You know, they put it in a trust, and then when they get old enough, they could take it out. And all my possessions belong to my children, so whenever I'm gone, they can do whatever they want to with it, but <laughs> hopefully they'll be a little richer than I am. Um, but anyway, the child is not only under the father's care, but the scripture says he's under managers and trustees. And uh, in one passage, the Bible says that the, the law is, was like a tutor. I think the King James says that, that it's, it's like it's a tutor, somebody who teaches us until we're, until we're mature, until we're ready to graduate. So in verse 3, it says, and that is the way it was for us before Christ came. We were slaves to the Jewish laws and rituals, and Paul calls those the, the elemental spirits or principles of the world. Um, it's kind of hard to understand what he's saying there. Uh, it seems like he's talking about their past religion and past religious experiences because he says that that we were slaves to these things because we thought that they could save us. We thought that that was the way to please God. But here Paul gives us an example of what he means um, and clarifies what he means uh, in uh, ver uh, chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, when he talks about um, being under a guardian. And verse 27 says, for as many of you were baptized into Jesus, have put on Jesus. And therefore, in verse 29, it says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So Paul gives this example to kind of clarify what he's already stated in the end of chapter 3. And the Father has promised us everything, is what Paul says. It's not uh, the right time necessarily for, for them to inherit until they reach maturity. And therefore, we were under the eye of our tutor until Jesus Christ came. So what Paul is saying here is that the law of Moses is not and was not intended to be permanently binding on the children of God. That at some point in the future, the father would send his son so that we could be adopted as sons and inherit all things. Now, in verse 4, it says, but when the right time came. So, while we were under the law of Moses, it wasn't the right time. But when God, when it was the right time, God sent his son, and this is verse 4, who was born of a woman, born of a Jew. So, who in here knows that, that uh, God has a right time for everything? And we, we learned that from Ecclesiastes. You know, there's that whole scripture about there is a time for everything. So God is always on time. He's never late. And uh, this is the way it will be with, uh, with the rapture. We think, oh, God's late. You know, where is he at? But God will be right on time. And it's on his time and not ours. So what, is it, what does he mean by the time is right? Well, there's several things here. During the time of Paul... The Romans had conquered the world, the known world, and had built a, net a network of roads so the people could travel from one city to another pretty quickly without having to go over rough terrain. You see how God had done that so that Paul could walk some of these roads and get the gospel out to the people. It was also a time when, like English, Greek was the most common language. So a lot of people during that time spoke two languages. They spoke a home language, 
which they would speak with their kids and their, their wife and their husband. And then everybody, everybody would speak Greek, just like somebody who's maybe in France will speak French and they'll speak English so that they can speak with other people in Europe. So the whole world was bilingual, and, and this helped spread the gospel because Paul didn't speak every language that he went to, every city and town that he went to, but he could speak Greek, and most other people could speak Greek and understood what he was saying. So when it says the time was right, maybe that, maybe that has something to do with it. Also, the people weren't believing in the mythological gods as much, and people were getting hungry for a real religion. They were seeing that there was, uh, you know, Zeus wasn't saving them from famine and all these kinds of things. So they were, they were looking for a real experience. And then finally, the law of Moses had done its work to, re- to prepare the world for Christ. From the time of Abraham to the time of Christ was like 1,300 years. So during that time, the, the law of Moses had been preparing people for the coming of Jesus. So notice it says in chapter 4, verse 4, that when, when the time was right, God sent his son, and he was born of a woman, and he was born a Jew. So God had a very specific plan for him. So God has a specific plan for all of you. All of us were born of women too, actually. <laughs> Everybody in here. But we all weren't... Um, born in Brazil or France or Germany, we were born in America. God has a plan for each of us. So God's plan was for Jesus to be born as a Jew. And um, because one of the reasons is because he could not set free what he did not go through or experience. So he had to be a Jew to help people to come out of, um, out of Judaism and that, and that experience. So if, he, if Jesus had not been a man, he could have not redeemed man. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men. And if he had not been God's son, he could not have redeemed men for God or made them the sons of God. So all of those things had to be true for Jesus. Now verse 5 to buy, why did he come? To buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own sons. So do you understand that while we were under the law, we could not be the sons and daughters of God? But Paul is saying here that the reason Jesus came was so that he could free us, we would no longer be slaves, and that he would adopt us to be his sons and daughters. So what, let's talk a little bit about adoption. The metaphor of adoption comes from an ancient Roman law whereby a wealthy, um, a wealthy childless man can take into his family a young slave who, by a great stroke of fortune, ceases to be a slave and becomes a son and heir. It's like winning, winning the lottery. <laughs> And um, it's like a real rags-to-riches story, and that's really all of our stories here, is we went from scraping the bottom of the barrel to believing in Jesus Christ and inheriting everything. I mean, it's all ours. (laughs) And so when we become sons and daughters of God, because Jesus' curse-bearing death, then we become 
the adopted sons and daughters of God. Now look at verse 6 with me. Actually, I want to read Romans 8, 14 through 17. So let's look at Romans real quick because it also talks about adoption. Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You don't have a witness in your spirit unless you have the Spirit of Christ in you. You've got to have the Spirit in order to be a son and daughter of God. Now, notice the Trinitarian reference here. I want you to really notice, going back to Galatians 4, what it says here. It says that God sent his son in verse 4. But then look at verse 6, that he then sends the Spirit into our hearts. So we see God the Father sending the Son and God the Father sending the Spirit. And when the Spirit enters into our hearts, immediately it cries, Abba, Father, the Spirit of the living God that dwells in you recognizes the Father just as an infant baby recognizes its mother. Abba can be rendered Father, dear Father. You know, when you say Abba, Father, you're really saying Father, Father, because Abba itself is the name for Daddy. So. So when you say Abba Father, you're saying Father, dear Father. It's a, it's a term of the closest intimate intimacy with a child and a parent. And once again, there was a distance between us and God as long as we were under the law of Moses. But Paul is saying we now have a closer relationship to God because we are filled with the Spirit. Now, um, God has a twofold purpose here in sending his Son and the Spirit. The first purpose is to secure our son and daughtership through his Son, Jesus Christ. So we are adopted as his children, and we will receive everything from the Father. And the second thing is to assure us of our son and daughtership by the Holy Spirit. So when we receive Jesus, we are then filled with the Spirit, and it's, the Spirit is the down payment, is what the book of Ephesians says. It is the down payment that we will be with God in, uh, in eternity. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read it here, says, His presence within us is God's guarantee that He really will give us all that He has promised. And the Spirit's seal upon us means that God has already purchased us and that he guarantees to bring us to himself. Aren't you glad of that guarantee? The guarantee of the Spirit of God in our lives? Now notice it is the Spirit that causes you to cry or to pray, Abba, Father. The Spirit's main work in our lives is to prompt us to pray. I'll read that again. The Spirit's main work in our life is to prompt us to pray. There's so many times in Scripture that Paul pairs prayer up with the Holy Spirit, and we'll look at some of those. The slave cannot speak to the Father, right? If you're a slave, 
You can't speak directly to the master. Only the master speaks to you. But Jesus is saying that that, or Paul is saying that that relationship has changed. This, this is huge. Your relationship with God is now that you can approach his throne. And you can cry out, not just master, not just Lord, but you can cry out father. And whenever we cry out father, you know, if my kid ever cried out my name, I would go right to him or her and figure out what was going on. And God does that for us. So the slave cannot speak to the father, only a son or daughter can. And Paul has much to say about the spirit praying through us. Look at um, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. This is probably the most famous of, of these kinds of verses. If you look at Romans 8, 26, it says, The spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to what? Pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself, what? Prays for us, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart, who searches the heart? The Spirit. Knows what the mind, uh, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So Paul pairs the Holy Spirit with prayer in several places in Scripture. And, um, you don't want to forget that that is the key here, that we can now pray. We have this direct line to God the Father. Paul also says that the same spirit that dwells in us is the one that prompts you to pray, Abba, Father, is the same one that raised Jesus from the dead. <laughs> that, that ought to excite you. The power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives inside of us not just power, but the privilege to speak directly to the Father. Now, I'm going to read verse 7. It says, Now we are no longer slaves, but we are God's own children, his sons and daughters. And since we are his sons, everything he has belongs to us. For that is the way that God planned. We're no longer slaves, but heirs. And Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 17 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So that is a huge piece of what Paul is trying to say, is that under the law, you would never have the connection with God. Remember, like Moses was an intermediary, Remember these intermediaries, like you'd have to go to a priest or a high priest, and Paul is saying those intermediaries are gone. You speak directly to God, and maybe it's not so shocking to us because we already do this. You know, we already prayed to God this morning. It's not very shocking, but in if we put ourselves, you know, 2,000 years ago back in Galatians, people are saying, oh, what, you can actually talk to God? You don't have to go through a high priest or, you know, some intermediary. No. You could talk directly to God if the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. Now, I've got in my notes, stop. Does anyone have any questions? If you haven't accepted God, do you have to go to someone else to lay your prayer? And they're not a Christian. Oh, sure. Well, I think God hears every sincere prayer because 
whether it pleases him or not, he's omniscient, so he knows everything. <laughs> whether he answers it or not is a, is a different question, but I think you should pray for anyone who asks for prayer, even if they're not a Christian. And you should tell them, if you become a Christian, God will hear your prayer. <laughs> Oh, I think God answers people's prayers even if they're not Christian. And I think that the Bible says the kindness of God leads you to repentance. So I think God is kind and wooing toward people who aren't Christian so that they may be. Now, I don't, it's not pleasing to God that there's not a relationship there. I think, I think he wants to establish that. Does that help? And I don't know. Florida, talk about. Did anybody shed light on that? Insight. Yeah, Jim. I just say if you pray for those that are that aren't Christians, you're planting a seed in them, and that maybe then they'll they will come to God. All right. Does anybody doubt that God hears non-believers' prayers? Like, is that? Yeah. Okay. Maybe you can shed light. Well, my belief is that God hears the prayer of an atheist or a non-believer and can heal them because of his mercy. He hears the prayer of the believer because of his covenant, because of our connection with him. So God is merciful, but God is also in a covenant relationship with us believers in Christ. I like that explanation right there. <laughs> right, we are in a covenant with God. Now, yeah, so he hears our prayers, and I think Revelation talks about how our prayers go up before him as a fragrance, like they come up before God. But, yeah, I think, I think God does hear even people who, aren't, who are lost. He hears their prayers as well. Uh, didn't, who said, Lord, save me? I'm drawing a blank. Oh, that was Peter. He was drowning and said, Lord, save me. But the thief on the cross, you know, he wasn't a very good guy. But yet, you know, God had mercy on him. So I think it has to do with mercy for sure. So let's look at verses 8 through 11 real quick. All right, I'll try to get you out of here in the next few minutes. But uh, verse 8 through 11, verse 8 says, Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to the so-called gods that do not even exist. So we've already kind of talked about that, the ancient gods of the Greeks and the Romans. Uh, Paul tells them here that God had to pretty much reach to the bottom of the barrel to pick them up. He says, you used to be idol worshipers. <laughs> and th it's a picture of where they used to be and where we all were before we heard and responded to the gospel. So we were all in our sin before Christ came to forgive us and to redeem us. 
And verse 9 says, and now that you have found God, or God has found you, how is it that you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the poor, weak, useless religion of trying to get into heaven by obeying God's laws? So I really want to bring this home. Give me one second. Let me make one point. This is why Paul is shocked, because God has found them. He's freed them from the burden of the ceremonial and sacrificial laws. He's sent his son so that now they are adopted as his children. God has given them his spirit to cry out, Abba, Father, as sons and daughters. They've inherited everything. And now they want to turn back to their old life of slavery. And for Paul, that is just, he just cannot accept that that they would uh, choose a life of slavery rather than a life of freedom in Christ. Okay, Brother Tony has a question. A statement. Uh, We had a uh, man in our church years ago, uh, Bill Wade. He was uh, a lost man and very abusive to his wife. And... uh, uh, he came down with cancer, and while he was still a sinner, uh, they prayed for him, and God healed him. He lived another 30 years. and uh, uh, But anyway, I, I uh, Brother Kearse, that was a member here, uh, he, uh, he was also uh, had delivered uh, by God before he was saved. Uh, sometimes uh, God has plans and purposes that we don't see. Uh, I knew a, a great guy when I was growing up. He was in the Battle of the Bulge, a great, it was a terrible war, a terrible battle. And uh, he promised God in that battle if you'll get me home, I'll live for you. And God got him home, and he became a great a great man of God. But, you know, sometimes uh, we don't see uh, God's full plan. But anyway, that's just what I wanted to say, that uh, what, what sometimes happens. Right. So, so these guys were contemplating about going back into slavery to the old ways of, of the world, but they had a little bit of help because there were some people in the congregation there that was telling them, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to believe in the law of Moses to, to please God. Now, verse 10 says that you're trying to find favor with God by what you do or don't do. You practice these certain days or months or seasons or years. And he's saying here that their religion had denigrated into external formalism. They're, if you think about the Mosaic law, they weren't joyfully going to the temple anymore. They were grudgingly going. Um, their religion had become dreary and one of rules and regulations. It wasn't one of that immediate connection with God. And then Paul says these shocking words. He says, I fear for you. 
I'm afraid that all my hard work is for nothing. And they were in what I would call a backslidden state. (laughs) Now, I realize that that's a point of contention with a lot of people, but all I could do is read the scripture and with what little intellect I have, come up with an idea. And that is that if they were saved, if you believe the Galatians were saved, I think Paul says that they were because uh, if you look at Galatians 3, it says that you were given the Spirit of God. Let me ask you this, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? If that's true that they received the Holy Spirit, Paul is now saying they were in danger of losing it or had already lost it. Paul's argument here is that you can go back into slavery. And he said a lot of them had already done it. So if that's true, then why do you think Paul was, if you don't believe that they could backslide, then why do you think Paul was afraid for them? And uh, if they were eternally secure, why should Paul even bother to write them a letter and warn them? So I just want to throw those things out there. Um, Now, we're going to pray. That's as far as time has allowed me to go. (laughs) But uh, any final questions about anything that we've talked about so far? Well, I think we've had a good some comments and some good discussion. I wanted to make sure that we incorporated some of that in tonight. Um, do take home your um, your paper that I got you. Read through the whole thing. Highlight it, underline it, really study it out, and see if you can use some uh, extra resources, maybe a, um, a commentary or something that will help you understand so that when you come here, we're kind of all at the same kind of level where we understand what is going on in the chapter. But um, let's have all hearts and minds free and clear. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you tonight for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for this time of teaching. Lord, I thank you, God, for uh, the example of the Galatians, God. Um, Lord, I thank you that their lives parallel our lives so much in that, you know, we were once sinners and we were saved by your grace. But God, we ask that you will help us to stay in your grace, and to stay in your favor, God, to please you, to make you happy and do what's right. And God, as long as your spirit is in our heart, crying, Abba, Father, you will be pleased with us, and we will inherit all things. God, we give you praise until we come by your house, that, or come to your house next week, uh, or Sunday, in order to worship you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.